You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. This is Luke Vanderlinden, Vice President of Membership and Marketing at the Retail and Hospitality ISAC, and this is the RHISAC Podcast. You have found the only podcast on the World Wide Web covering cybersecurity issues specifically for the retail and hospitality industries. Thanks for joining us. We have an even fuller show than usual this time with not one, not two, but three great segments. RHISAC President Susie Squire joins us again for her namesake segment, Susie Plus One, where she brings along a special guest for us to chat with. This time, she's joined by Rafa Villarea Ferrer, Head of Global Cybersecurity Operations for Nestle. Nestle is a member of the RHISAC, and they're hosting our upcoming regional workshop later this month at their Cybersecurity Operations HQ in Barcelona. Susie's going to talk to Rafa about his background and how he got to where he is now in his career, but they're also going to discuss major issues and concerns in the world of cybersecurity today, like artificial intelligence, cyber fusion centers. These are all topics that, by the way, that'll be covered in even greater detail at the workshop in Barcelona on the 20th and 21st of April. So listen to the segment and then book your flight. You won't want to miss it. I'm also going to sit down with the CyberWire's own chief security officer, Rick Howard. Rick has done what many of us aspire to do someday, write a book and get it published. Rick has had a 30-plus year career in both the government and commercial sectors and has been able to curate his thoughts on cybersecurity, starting with his own weekly podcast right here on the CyberWire Network. It's called CSO Perspectives. And now he has a new book called Cybersecurity First Principles, A Reboot of Strategy and Tactics. It's being published later this month, just in time for RSA. But first, I'm joined by two of my colleagues from the RHISAC, our own Vice President of Intel Operations, Brian Hundley, and Principal Threat Researcher, J.J. Josing. We're going to chat about a very exciting and, dare I say, groundbreaking project that was just announced. Our Intel team has started creating threat actor profiles. They're going to explain why and how these profiles are even more effective in helping good guys, and how they're being created how to find and use them, how to contribute to enriching them, and what the future holds. That's coming up first. But as always, we love your thoughts on these segments or anything you hear on the RHISAC podcast. Just let us know at podcast at rhisac.org. That's podcast at rhisac.org. I am now excited to be joined in our studio by two of my colleagues. We have Brian Hundley, who's our VP of Intel Operations, and JJ Josing, a principal threat researcher for the RHISAC, both my colleagues from the Intel department, and both not strangers to the podcast. I think you two have been on before. Uh, We're going to talk about an exciting new project that you guys have been working on to identify and better define threat actors instead of just relying on the old uh, IOCs and TTPs. Uh, I'd love for you guys to tell me more about that. Brian, why don't you give us a, give us a start? Yeah, uh, well, good morning or good afternoon, wherever you're at listening to this podcast. Um, yeah, yeah, so, you know, we at the RHI Act, it's very important for us to understand the threat actors that are targeting the various industries that we work with. You know, we work with several industries, everything from 
hospitality to uh, gaming. Uh, of course, retail is a big one. And then there's that whole space of consumer-facing uh, products and goods, right? So we decided that from our standpoint, it was important for us to have a solid understanding of the threat actors targeting the industry. And since we leverage MISP heavily, um, we created threat actor profiles in MISP that would help us to enrich the data around the threat actors, TTPs, tactic techniques and procedures uh, that were targeting uh, the different industries that we work with so that it would help us to get a better understanding and, of course, our members to get a better understanding of the threat actors that are, I, I hate to sound like I'm repeating myself, but, you know, targeting our, our industry. And, um, yeah, that's, that's basically it in a nutshell. So tell me, like, what exactly is a threat actor profile? And, and how is it different from the how, way, way we've been tracking uh, threat actors in the past? So, you know, JJ, I'll let you answer that one, I think, uh, because you've been working so, you know, intently on this, this project. Yeah, for sure. So a threat actor profile is just a description of a malicious individual or group that's either known or suspected of attempting to exploit a system or networks. It can include information such as the threat actor's goals, their motives, tactics, techniques, procedures. It also includes information on their capabilities and the types of systems that they have targeted. And the profile can be used to help members understand the risk and develop countermeasures and response strategies. Yeah, and you know, it's, it's interesting because as we see threats expand and the threat actors change, right? You know, since 2019, you know, we've seen the, the threat actor landscape shift significantly, especially after the Ukraine-Russian war started. And so it's very important for us to be able to map, you know, the different TTPs that are associated with what they're doing. I mean, when you look at ransomware itself, right? I mean, it's still still a lot of the same tactics, techniques, and procedures, um, but some of the, the uh, threat actors have, have definitely changed. Uh, so it's important for us to have um, these mappings so that our membership can understand what a, an attack may look like as it uh, targets you know, their organization. So walk me through a little bit about how you built out the, the these profiles, or at least the ones we have already. What your plans are for doing additional ones, and how it all how it all works functionally. Maybe JJ, that's that's better for you. Well, we start with identification. We're trying to identify the threat actors, their capabilities, and the industries that they've targeted, uh, and focus those down to those that are relevant to our membership. Uh, then we research uh, gathering data from within the RHISEC community uh, and the open source on the threat actor uh, and their tactics, techniques, procedures. Then we try to analyze the data to determine their goals and motivations. And then we kind of pull all of that together and start creating a threat actor profile uh, using all of that data. Uh, and then our team does a review of the profile uh, to ensure accuracy and completeness. Uh, and then uh, implementation of the profile um, by putting it up into MISP, uh, in the MISP galaxy to help members understand the risks and develop countermeasures and responses, strategies. That's right. And that's the uh, second time uh, you guys have mentioned MISP. Tell me more about um, where it's, how, the, how members can find it, because this is a members-only thing, right? How they can find it, uh, how they're named, uh, all the nuts and bolts for how our members can, can access this. So we have our own community, uh, MISP instance for the RHISAC, um, and the threat actor profiles. Uh, each profile is a Galaxy cluster. Uh, now, a MISP galaxy is just a simple method to express a large object called a cluster that can then be attached to MISP events or attributes. 
And a cluster can be composed of one or more elements, and the elements are expressed as key value pairs. And the galaxy clusters are used to provide a common language for describing groups of threat actors, uh, their tactics, and the types of systems that they're targeting. And by having it within MISP, uh, we're then able to tag all of the intel that gets shared um, and attributed to certain threat actor groups. So whether that's member shared something, hey, we saw threat actor you know, intel from threat actor XYZ, uh, or open source reporting that we saw that would be relevant to our membership because they mentioned going after, you know, this threat actor is going after e-commerce sites. So this, it sounds like most of the kind of setup and work so far is done by RHISAC staff. To what degree are our members involved and how do you see them being involved in developing these profiles moving forward? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the goal, right, is to, is to be community-driven and community-led. Uh, we're kind of going out there and, and gathering all that initial uh, data that we can find, um, stuff that's relevant uh, to the membership. Uh, but we're really hoping that members get involved by reviewing the profiles as we release them uh, and, and reaching out to provide any additional feedback or comments. They can reach out to either myself or Lee Clark. Also worth mentioning is that members can choose to contribute any additional information, either with attribution or uh, anonymously without attribution to themselves or their organization. Uh, and lastly, any contributions to the threat actor profiles are going to be weighted highly for the sharing challenge scoring. Oh, excellent. Our uh, sharing and collaboration challenge, which we love. And you mentioned Lee, he's he's been on the podcast before as well, not a stranger to our listeners. Um, so kind of looking, stepping back to the kind of the way how this will impact our members' day-to-day work lives or their business? What's the business use case for this? And I guess either of you can answer. Yeah, I I can jump in first. Um, uh, So I I think one of the big areas for threat actor profiles is helping with threat hunting. And a lot of our members are are either have or are trying to start a threat hunting program. And um, having this capability um, offered by the RHI SAC, you know, it helps them with like the data collection process or the big part of threat hunting is developing the hypothesis, you know, around what do they need to go look for? What types of threat activities is associated with different threat actors? And having these threat actor profiles helps with that hunting process tremendously um, by providing that targeted information to help them go and develop those hypotheses and then go and start uh, those targeted threat hunts within their organization. And I'll just add on to that, you know, kind of our, our ideas, the goal for these threat actor profiles uh, is to provide our members with a better understanding of the risk and to help them develop countermeasures and response strategies uh, to these threat actors, uh, right? They're, they're called, you know, APTs or advanced persistent threat actors with, with persistent being, you know, one of the keywords. They're going to keep coming. They're going to stop. They're never going to stop. And by creating these detailed profiles, members can gain insight into the types of threats they're facing. Uh, the tactics, techniques, procedures that these actors are using, and and the industries that they're having uh, been known to target. And this is going to help our members better protect their networks, their systems, and and help them respond more effectively to any malicious activity they may encounter. Um, I know you you brought it up, uh, I think, earlier, mentioning about, you know, shifting from, you know, like IOC-based, you know, sharing to, you know, these threat actor profiles. And while IOCs are great, you know, know, it helps with, you know, when you're in an investigation and you're trying to kind of get a, a view of the bigger picture, uh, you know, blocking uh, based, you know, solely on the indicators of compromise. It's like whack-a-mole. Uh, it's trivial for, for these threat actors to, ch- to change these IOCs. Um, but if you can start the shift towards blocking or detecting 
their, their TTPs, uh, we're going to have a, a much more successful time in mitigating some of these attacks. I mean, it really does sound like a great maturation in um, the kind of intel that um, our members are are able to collect and have ac- have access to better to defend themselves. Do you have any sense out there? I mean, this is probably a hard question to answer, but do you have any sense out there of how many different threat actors there are that are large enough or active enough to uh, create profiles around? I mean, we have about a dozen or so kind of in our pocket uh, that we're working on um, and we're releasing these profiles on a, on a cadence here. Um, so we're not, they're not all being released at once, uh, but attribution to threat groups, it's kind of tricky, right? Like I know some of the, you know, the Mandiants uh, of the world, you know, they'll spend years researching a, a particular uh, cluster or, or new threat activity before they, you know, definitively mature it into or, or merge it into a known existing group. And um, so we're kind of focusing on those already known existing groups. Uh, however, there there are these cases where, you know, activity will bubble up and, you know, it looks similar to another group and, uh, you know, we're, we're always looking for the feedback uh, from from the membership. So, you know, if there's a new group that, you know, they're, they're really interested in or focused on or are looking to follow, I mean, reach out, you know, do an RFI. Uh, we can, you know, add that, that actor to our list and we can definitely try to do some of our own research and collaborate together uh, with, with whoever uh, in the membership and try to create a, another profile. Uh, well, it sounds great, and I know that uh, since they've this has been project's been released, there's been some great feedback from members. So uh, it's only going to get better from here. What else? Uh, what else do we need to know? Is there anything else? Uh, I don't know what I don't know, but what else uh, do our listeners and our members need to know? I guess the biggest thing would just be to you know, if you haven't already checked out MISP, uh, log into it, um, poke around, go to the MISP galaxies, uh, look for the RHISAC threat actors, and uh, from within there, you'll be able to see the different profiles attached. And, and reach out, you know, if, if you see something in there that you disagree with or uh, you feel very adamantly one way or the other, you know, reach out and, and you know, we can collaborate. We can uh, add that in, make any edits or adjustments. Uh, if there's additional TTPs you've observed from this group that, that we aren't uh, already tracking, uh, that's very valuable to know because, you know, the threat actors are constantly changing uh, how they're doing, what they're doing. Uh, you know, you plug one hole and they'll find two more to come in. So, uh, any any additional information on these groups that we can get uh, is going to be more valuable, uh, not just for us, but for the community as a whole. Excellent. Truly is a collaboration. Brian, any final words on this terrific project? Yeah, I'll just say get involved. I mean, you know, we've got tons of different mechanisms, right, to get involved, whether it's, you know, discussions on Slack uh, about threat actors or our dark web working group. I think that's an excellent way to get involved and to help us to, you know, enrich these threat actor profiles and please, you know, share, like share information, like get in there, help us to enrich these profiles. And like JJ said, if you see something that's wrong, please point it out. Um, or if you see something that is of a concern, you need more information on, please, you know, talk to us. Um, or, you know, if there's another member that we know who can help you um, with your question or issue, then we'll we'll help to identify that person and then uh, point them in your direction. So yeah, get involved. Excellent, well, Brian Hundley, JJ Josing, thank you very much for coming on. And please come back when there's uh, any updates to, to this project or anything else that's going on in the Intel Department. Love to have you on as much as you can come on.
And now, Susie Squire, welcome back to the RHI SAC podcast. And thank you for bringing a plus one. Who did you bring with you? Today with me, Rasa Deloria Ferrer. Am I pronouncing your name correctly? Last name? Yes, you do. That's okay. Thank you. Rafa is the head of global cybersecurity operations for Nestle, and he is also the host of our first ever upcoming workshop in, uh, in Europe. So we're really very grateful to Nestle for, for letting us uh, use their space and to, to bring in the cybersecurity teams from across Europe for this meeting. And we thought it'd be great to learn a little bit about Rafa and, and how he got and why he really is excited about this workshop as we are. So Rafa, uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thanks, Susie. So um, as you highlight, I'm Rafa Viori. I'm responsible for the uh, Global Cybersecurity Operations Center at Nestle. I'm currently based in, in Barcelona, Spain. It happened that I actually um, ended up at, at Nestle now 15 years ago. I was actually... Uh, in a, in a big four before in, 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 in Spain, more on the kind of IT auditing. And then, you know, for kind of personal reasons, I moved to, to Switzerland. Um, one of those typical objectives, I was going there for a couple of years. Um, um, but then I ended up being a few more. So I, I joined um, Nestle in the headquarters in Switzerland, May, uh, starting on the kind of IT audit. I was continuing around that area. And then from there, I uh, had the opportunity to travel uh, around the world auditing the various fu- units of, of Nestle, which allowed me to kind of learn a lot of the IT part and, and obviously a lot of security. And as we were moving uh, along along the years, um, and I took also over there kind of responsible for the IT audit for the group, and security was becoming more and more important, I think, in general within IT, which, which obviously translated that it was a more and more important kind of chapter within our audit uh, assessments and our audit work. Uh, and then so to a certain extent, I think um, either I was highlighting too many gaps or, or somehow in a, yeah, they, they kind of thought it's best to have that person to kind of fix things rather than finding the, the challenges. So they, they proposed me to kind of join to the security function um, and actually was with the objective of then later on relocate to Spain to, to set up our the, the security operations center for, for Nestle. So it moved from... Uh, and trying to kind of move in from a fully MSSP to a more um, homegrown capability for the company. And that was around 2016. And then since then, I've been uh, heading the, the security operations center uh, at Nestle and, and the last seven years pretty much now. So really interesting journey and seeing how, you know, the whole landscape of IT security and, and, and SOC operations have actually evolved. And, and I think very, very kind of important for majority of the companies. Yeah, that's great. So you built it from the ground up, still there, running, operating it, all good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I contributed with obviously many other people that that then join along the way. Yeah, we keep growing, and um, one of the very important things, actually, uh, and maybe we'll come back on that later for sure, is then on exchanging with many other peers, no? Which to understand and to um, discuss um, how how things can be done, what best ways, what, what has worked well for someone, what maybe has not worked that well, and so that we avoid maybe all of us making the same mistakes. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole, you know, one of the goals of the ISAC, obviously threat information sharing, but also just helping each other on the journey. And uh, you know, like you said, if you can help someone avoid at least one pitfall, that, that helps. <laughs> they may have their own, but 
but you can help them avoid something. Well, and that is exactly uh, what we want to try and get out of this first workshop is, you know, pulling everyone together, uh, members and non-members alike within Europe, uh, because although the virtual is, you know, very um, helpful, there's nothing like getting in person and sitting across the table with your peers and, and having conversations. So I think if I remember, you and I were communicating e- uh, via email uh, for some reason, and I asked if you would be willing to host this this uh, this workshop, and, and you jumped in and, and said you would. So explain, you know, kind of to what you were talking about before, like you know, about you know the the value of networking. Is that kind of the reason behind you are willing to throw your hat in the ring and, and help us with this effort? Yeah, yeah, indeed it is. No, so to a certain extent, I would say that we are. Let's say I was always very jealous not to see the 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 active community in 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 US, North America, and then um, while we are a global company because physically we are in in our case located in in Barcelona, our operations are located there. Uh, we, we haven't had the opportunity to kind of uh, be face to face with other colleagues with Energize again, so we always communicate through the other channels, and which is good. But at a certain extent. Um, Always is get is always better to have some connection where you do face to face, which then after will translate for sure in a in a in a more rich sharing. No? So when when you obviously came with the proposal, I was very very happy to be able to to host that event and be able to um you know get to know the other colleagues that are part of Erechizak like in at least on the European side or from anywhere, but I mean any from Europe, so that we can then have this. Uh, face-to-face, a very uh, connection uh, network. And then from there, I'm sure there will be more opportunities to collaborate, which are naturally much easier than if you would have done it only uh, uh, through through any of these digital means. No? So that was really the, the main idea, so to really have the, the opportunity to mingle with other colleagues. Yeah, and you're right. And it is a, it's like a jumping off point. So once you make those connections, then the follow-up conversations and meetings are are, are that much easier uh, and I know you're working with um, some colleagues uh, that we're, you're getting to know, uh, Marnie Wilking of Bookings.com, Carl Cahill of Mahal Del Hayes, and uh, Grant Thompson of uh, Citizen M Hotels, uh, which is uh, located in the Netherlands. So even going through that process and working with them has it been uh, a fun, interesting experience so far in, in putting the the program together. Yes, yes, already that's already a very good um, experience. Best also because you start seeing also what are the kind of top of mind topics for for your colleagues, no, for your peers as well, um, which is the known by the going the effort of of discussing or trying to build a, an appealing agenda, and you see from one side how how much there are many common areas, no, that are actually the same challenges or interesting topics that everybody that, that in general people wants to discuss and see um, um, how different companies are approaching those and others that may become more specific from um, from specific uh, industries but at the same time which are um, a bit of an eye-opener sometimes like oh interesting topic that was not in my radar but that but indeed actually something I want to learn more no so it brings the two dimension of kind of getting reassured that some areas are very common across and others that um, give you a bit of Going of your, you know, your view and start getting. Oh, let me see how other people. What are the other things they see that are maybe I'm, I was not I was not considering. No, so that also I think is very enriching. So otherwise, when you're in a company, you tend to be too focused on your topics and you maybe miss things that you have not in mind. No. 
So true. And that's why I think at the second day, so the way that this workshop is being uh, set up is a little different than what we've, we, we've done, and, and, but we have done this before. We'll be starting in half day on the Thursday. So people have an easy opportunity to fly in that morning or, or get in. And then a day, uh, afternoon, uh, a nice networking dinner. Uh, and then, then, and then starting in the morning, well, we will separate like our, our group. So we'll have the strategic leaders and then the kind of our threat analysts and, and operations, um, have separate uh, conversations. And I think in the CISO open forum, that's always been the, one of the, um, most popular areas to exactly what you're saying, being able to just bring top of mind issues that you're dealing with. Um, are you looking forward to, to that as well as the uh, other more formal presentations that we'll be having? Definitely. I mean, this is, I think, um, one of the most rich ones, no? Obviously, as I said, um, because when it's a little bit of an open agenda, this is where everybody will highlight things that they have in mind, completely, no? that are top, in my, top of mind and, and those items that are kind of key on their agenda. So, and understanding if, you know, how many of those are matching your also priorities, how many are kind of things you ha maybe have not um, thought about it, I think that is what is very, very enriching. Definitely it is. Uh, and then, of course, all the other sessions. I mean, that's that's obviously... Yeah, and speaking of the sessions, your team members, one of someone from your team is going to be presenting on AI and machine learning and its use. Uh, and that's that's a very uh, hot topic. A lot of conversation about chat GPT we had uh, a, a couple of weeks ago within the CISO community without giving away too much because we want people to to learn more at the at the event. But how has that the use of AI ML really helped in your in your program? I think a lot. So so since we started already our operations, we always had in mind that we had to have uh, in-house capabilities to drive threat detection also through machine learning and AI. And so we have been growing this since we started and, and we want to share obviously a bit of our journey and also share the, the, the challenges we see and how other people are approaching this. Um, because there are obviously um, either many solutions you can also obviously consume. There are other, um, you can also have your own in-house capabilities that you can use and that come with their benefits, but also maybe so there are challenges as well. But definitely it's something that we we are increasingly using to have not only um, cover certain certain threat capabilities that with the traditional tools or more rule-based type of approach we cannot do, but also um, something as basic as exploiting the data we have no? and then bringing a lot of insights from a huge amount of data we collect, which then help us to identify, I mean, to bring... More, more information to our decision making, no? more insights into our decision making, understand better what's happening in our overall infrastructure. So, we want to touch base a little bit on this and then open up the discussion with with the peers to to see how they they see the usage of of those capabilities. And of course, I'm sure the topics of ChatGPT will come up because it's now it's everybody's trending topic, and it's and it's really in the early. No? It's really making it democratizing a little bit a lot these type of capabilities and it seems that it's going to quickly explode in, an, in, a, in a huge number of use cases. Some of those on the defensive side, but others maybe not always uh, on the defensive side. So maybe for, for attackers also, no, they are always looking at how are they going to leverage that technology as well, which is an angle also I think we will also have to discuss and not only how we use machine learning for, for uh, threat detection and, and cyber defense, um, but how to actually... Um, uh, understand what are the the 
cyber threat actors doing with also with that technology. Yeah, totally. And that, that's exactly some of the conversation we had. And I know we'll have, have that more at this workshop because it's a, it's a, it's amazing just within what a few short months, how, uh, chat GPT is, is like you said, dominating a lot of conversations. So looking forward to that. Another session that we're having, um, is about cyber fusion centers that another, uh, Ahul Dahiz will be presenting on. Is that something that, uh, is top of mind for you? And, and, or, you know, is that, Appealing to you, looking forward to that conversation that we're going to have around that topic as well. Yeah, very, very much looking forward to to see what uh, what they present. I mean, from our perspective, and this always has been always a, an interesting topic because for us we call our unit a security operation center, um, but there are many names out, nowadays out there. No, I mean, and and SOC is traditionally con- some people, some companies will consider only specific areas within their scope. You have cyber defense centers, fusion centers, et cetera. For us, within our SOC operations, we actually have multiple uh, units, including incident response, vulnerability management, threat, threat intelligence, et cetera. So, so maybe we are closer to what is maybe considered a fusion center. So I'm keen to see you know, how, how they uh, approach this aspect of fusion center, what it's considered to be part of a fusion center. And actually, most interesting at the end of the day is Really, how you bring all these things together for the benefit of uh, increasing the cyber resilience for the business? No, because you, you can name it the way you want and, and whatever. But at the end of the day, I guess the idea is how is best to organize the teams and the units so that they bring the, ma- the most value to the company in the in the in the sense of cyber cyber resilience, which which I think is also an interesting topic, which links also beyond even cyber to business resilience nowadays, considering that big part of the business is all done. IT, the IT systems and digital means. Yeah, that is another great topic to bring up and the business resilience and cyber's role in that, um, as we're seeing through a lot of the supply chain situations and, and, and attacks along those lines. I'm also interested in uh, meeting and having uh, someone from Inissa come and to uh, give us a, a, a landscape throughout Europe of the threats that they're seeing. And I know that your team does have some contact with, with, with that organization. Am I right? Yes, indeed. So actually, a part of our Threat Intel team, we had one person in the team that was has been collaborating uh, with Anissa on the latest uh, some research programs they had, uh, and then, yeah, it has and has been really, really, really interesting for him, obviously as a development, and actually that's also a very a good topic also to discuss as well and to share in terms of uh, talent development, talent uh, retention, etc. So on one angle was obviously um, the sense of uh, Providing opportunities for our our people also to further develop and, and get to experience outside of the kind of private company, so that from one side, and then the other side, of course, has benefiting of of that experience of that uh, learning uh, in a completely different environment and bring the, this back to the to us and to the rest of the team. So uh, very enriching, something that really uh, encourage um, other companies and other peers to to look at these opportunities. Uh, either in this case with Anissa or with any other organization I mean, uh, uh, similar to in nature, because it really brings um, the person in a different context, getting a little bit out of potentially of the comfort zone on, on, on the most common day-to-day operations. But also uh, it's very enriching, not only personally, but for the over, for the further group, for the group itself, no? for, the, for the company in terms of the, the insights that it's going to bring and then share with the colleagues. Well, no, very, very happy for that experience. And I think it's continuing maybe with less intensity, but it's continuing and obviously has opened up for that person uh, and for us to 
extend in terms of um, networking as well. No? So that also has this angle of networking, which, um, which you never know when it can also be needed, especially as we are very interconnected. And you mentioned it around supply chain attacks, for example. So some of those things, uh, these kind of national and European organizations are very helpful also to to put the, to connect the dogs and then share support some kind of the private companies and some of these more bigger issues. Yeah, and that's a really good point that it really does. Uh, it's it's a, it does help with the retention and and their growth. Um, is it something that you're thinking of? Not to get too off the topic of the workshop, but just curious. Is it something you're thinking of rotating uh, positions around? You know, maybe uh, have someone in that role in that connection for a while and then move it to somebody else for the experience or is it better to keep it with someone to build that relationship and to, and to you know, strengthen that relationship? So, so most likely uh, on the first one, as you mentioned, the first one you highlighted, no? I mean, in terms of trying to rotate, um, I mean, without forcing it, but I think naturally at some point after a while, you also want to continue in other areas and then give the opportunity for someone else to participate and get uh, to experience and develop in this. No? So I think it's good to for us, we we are very keen on this, and the yeah, rotation is always a good approach. We do with that with this, and um, and we do with in, in other areas as well. Similarly, in terms of participating to conferences, etc., it's completely different. But it's at least a bit the same concept. And not to have some one person always going to the same place, but trying to rotate so that the experience that everyone can also experience and develop always aligned with each one personal development plans, no? but uh, giving that opportunity, it's, it's key and being flexible. Um, I think nowadays is, is very relevant to ensure that um, we have everything we can do to retain the talent and to retain, but also develop the talent. At the end of the day, that's the most important part. Then everybody can decide to, to move wherever it is. But as long as we provide good development, there's obviously highly likelihood that they'll Will stay longer, but also that wherever they go, they also gonna contribute. And on the end, I think that's a collective collective effort somehow. Agreed. Agreed. Well, we're looking forward to having that. They're gonna do the the Europe European threat landscape, and they'll follow it up with our own Lee Clark. They'll do kind of the retail, hospitality, travel, CPG, you know, landscape that we're seeing through our member sharing and things along those lines. Well, as we're we're wrapping up here, um, maybe is there anything else you know that, about the workshop that 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 you're excited about or that you want to make sure that folks are aware of? So, I mean, uh, we we kind of mentioned it already, no? But I think it's a great opportunity to to connect with other peers, to connect with companies that obviously are going to have similar challenges, have good exchange, have networking, and I think for us. We are always very happy with the support and with the level of exchange and value we get from Eric Isaac. So also it's a call for everyone to um, to maybe join, see that value and potentially you know, um, be part of Eric Isaac as well and, and making growing that, that community because at the end of the day, the more we are and the more we exchange, the more value we all can get. No? So for us, uh, I think this has been... Very valuable. We got to know, by the way, we, we, we got to know about the RHISA by another company in a different conference where they was highlighting us that they were getting very good value from a third inter perspective. So we said, okay, we never thought about it because uh, at first sight, it's it's kind of retail or hospitality. Maybe we are not really fully in the, in the industry, but we give it a go uh, and, and we were very, very happy and we are very happy. So we are actually encouraging anyone else to consider that event, to join. We are, are going to really welcome you with open arms in Barcelona, hopefully with good weather. And I think with a good uh, packed agenda of sessions, but as well as some time to 
to network and talk with with the participants. So and obviously with some fun as well. And it so I think it's really encouraging everyone listening to consider the event and, and joining uh, as much as possible. Thank you very much, Rafa Villarreal Ferrer, for joining Susie and me and all of our listeners. It's going to be a great event in Barcelona. Susie, I can't wait to see who you're going to bring as your next plus one. All right, I am joined now by Rick Howard, the Chief Security Officer, Chief Analyst, and Senior Fellow at the Cyberwire and N2K Networks. Thanks very much for joining me, Rick. That is a mouthful, but uh, thanks, Luke, for welcoming me to your show. It sure is, and I want to hear all about uh, what all what all that means and what you do in a second. But I just have to say, ever since we our podcast joined the CyberWire network of podcasts, your team, the whole team, has been very, very welcoming and very, very helpful with this. So, uh, thank you to you on behalf of them. And and when you see them at the water cooler in the uh, CyberWire studios, uh, please let them know how appreciative we are for their assistance. But uh, but tell me, Rick, tell me what all those titles mean. What do you do at uh, the CyberWire and N2K? Well, my previous jobs, you know, I was a, uh, I worked for a couple of security vendors and uh, I would come on the, this is years ago, I would come on the, the CyberWire show and, you know, as one of the subject matter experts. So I knew everybody over there. And then uh, when I transitioned my last job as a lark, I sent a note to Peter Kilpie, who is the CEO, saying, you know what you should do is you let me do my own podcast. And, you know, he called me the next day what you should do is come work for us. So that's what I'm doing. I'm, I have two hats. Um, I am their chief security officer um, for a startup, uh, which is a lot different from what I'm used to, uh, which is very interesting. And uh, I also host two or three podcasts on the CyberWire network. So I get to do both of those things. And it's been a blast for the last three years. I can't believe they pay me money for this. Right, so you thought you would just have the uh, the easy job of podcast host, be able to talk for a living, and yeah. they put you to work being actual a practitioner setting up their own security. Can you believe that? I can't believe they made me do that. <laughs> terrible, terrible. Well, I hope you're keeping it all safe because because uh, a lot of our data is now going over. Uh, going yeah, over of course. Excellent. <laughs> uh, so, what what are your podcasts? What do you what do you host? What do you do? You have a certain theme, or what do you talk about? Yeah, in fact, uh, when I came over, we were just starting our pro side. You know, the I, I like to call it the Netflix side, you know, the subscription side to uh, to our podcast. Um, and uh, when you when you buy a subscription at CyberWire, all the ads are taken out of all the shows, and we have like fifteen or so shows, including yours. All right, all right. But if you get a pro side, you get all the ads taken out. Plus, you get my uh, my podcast that only lives over there. It's called. CSO perspectives, all right, and it's about um, how senior security executives think about cybersecurity and, and the problems that face them on a day-to-day basis. Wow, excellent! So, speaking of all those problems, you have, as you said, I think you thirty years of experience in in uh, the cybersecurity world and the security world. You've done something that I think a lot of us think that we can do and plan to do someday. <laughs> you wrote a book. I did. <laughs> it's not the great American novel, but what does it cover? Well, what's interesting is uh, the way I do my shows, I don't know how you do your shows, Luke, but uh, for me to get my thoughts together, I always write an essay about whatever the topic is. And then I write the script and figure out how to record it and who, what guests I need and things, all right? But because I've done that for the last three years, uh, last summer or so, I looked around and said, I have enough material here for a book. Because uh, we've been covering uh, cybersecurity first principles in my podcast, trying to get back to the basics. 
So I had all this material. I said, well, I, that should be easier, right? I should be able to just write a book with, with all that stuff. I have to tell you that even with all of that material underneath my my table, uh, it was still a lot of work to get done. <laughs> well, you, you shouldn't uh, let everybody see what happens behind the curtain. I, I, I'm <laughs> I'm trying to pretend I'm just speaking off the cuff here. No preparation at all. Just, <laughs> oh, no, so just easy. that good. Yeah. yeah, just that good. So uh, first principles, you know, is this, like you said, back to the basics? Uh, you know, it's not the, the sexy thing that everybody thinks about, but the, the fundamentals? Well, what's, uh, I've been thinking about this for about 10 years. I had this, not, this nagging feeling in the back of my head that we all kind of glommed on to a couple of assumptions early when cybersecurity was just getting started. This is, you know, back in the 90s. And two ideas that emerged through a bunch of really smart people writing papers and thinking about how to do cybersecurity. Um, the two big ideas that emerged was the first one was we're going to know how to secure computers. You know, we're going to be able to configure them so that nobody can break into them. And uh, and we can see how well that has turned out. Okay, that hasn't really worked at all. In fact, one of the big one of the big um, uh, researchers, the Schroeder paper. They pretty much said in their paper, well, we proved that you can do it, but how would you prove that you actually did it correctly is, is the problem, right? And so we've kind of thrown that idea out. The second big idea that emerged, and everybody still uses it today, is the something called the CIA triad. Uh, and if you talk to most practitioners, they've heard of it. They're trying to do pieces of it. And um, my thought is uh, that really hasn't helped us that much. It feels, if you read the news headlines today, Okay, that we're getting more attacks today than we did back in the 90s, right? So uh, maybe the CIA triad isn't elemental enough. So I went back and was thinking about what, how can we rethink this? And I went back to some of the early days, you know, we're talking about Aristotle, we're talking about Descartes, Euclid, even up through the modern days of uh, how Elon Musk uh, runs his companies. You know, when, when he decides that he wants to figure out how to go to Mars, he didn't take what NASA and Boeing did and took the next step. He threw it all out and says, what is the essence of going to Mars? And, uh, and that's, how, that's why he's a gazillionaire and you and I are doing podcasts, right? Because he knows how to do that, right? So I went back and started thinking about, well, what is the absolute cybersecurity first principle? And the idea here is you have to get it down to its essence, Meaning that when you figure out what this is, there's nothing before it, and everything that we do in our, in our profession is derived from this first statement, right? And so that's kind of the thought process here. Yeah, you know, so much, particularly in, in our world, not just the cybersecurity world, but the tech world, is even though it's a young industry, it's larded up with all this stuff of what we did in the past. You know, we're talking software, whether we're talking code or just processes. So this is, you're saying, just rip it all up and start over and, and come up with the original, the original principles again. Exactly. And that's, what the, and that's what the book is called. It's called uh, Cybersecurity First Principles, a reboot of strategy and tactics that we're going to release at the uh, RSA conference uh, coming up in a couple of weeks. That's excellent. Perfect timing because you're going to get a lot of folks there. A lot of our members go to that. We're having a, a little meet and greet on the Wednesday evening. Uh, everybody's invited if you're if you're in retail and hospitality. But uh, but so can you can you give us a little teaser of, of some of the things that are in the book, or or do you want to uh, keep it all secret? No, no, absolutely. I mean, you can listen to all the podcast. The reason we wrote the book is that you can get all the information from the podcast and the essays we publish. But it's scattered across three years and multiple web pages. And if you want to get you know a big gulp of it. And one take you, uh, the book is probably the best answer. So uh, let me just 
tell you this. Here's what I think the absolute cybersecurity first principle is. And it's, it's like a Twitter line and it kind of blows people away that it's so short. But here it is. Everybody in our profession should be doing this thing, I believe. It is reduce the probability of material impact to our organization over the next few years, right? And there's three things in that statement that uh, may not be obvious when you just hear me say it out loud. The first one is reduce the probability, right? We're not saying we're going to stop all attacks. We're not going to say we're going to prevent all exploits. We're not doing all that. What we're saying is that it is possible to reduce the probability by doing some very specific strategy and tactics. The second big part of it is materiality, right? Uh, especially now I'm working for a startup, okay? Uh, I have no resources to spend on extra things. So if it doesn't, if whatever we're doing doesn't impact the materiality of the business, meaning that if, if some bad thing happens, it's going to destroy the business. I need to prevent that from happening. That's what I should be focusing on. Everything else is just nice to have. And the third element is a it's time bound because you and I know we've been doing this a long time. If you just say, is it possible that we're going to get hacked in sometime in the future? Yes. Of course you will, right? But if you time bound it by something that makes sense for your organization, let's say three years or two years or five years, whatever your your financial cycle is, you can you can estimate that probability and and decide to make some resource decisions with that information. Right. So even though it is a kind of a, a back to the basic simplification, it really does address and kind of speak to the sophistication of both the threat actors and our ability to defend these days. And it kind of puts everything in perspective in a much better way. One of the key things that comes out of, that, of the book is a, an understanding of the difference between strategy and tactics, right? And uh, most, I talk to a lot of CISOs in uh, doing this job. In fact, my career, you get to talk to a lot of them. Luke, you get to talk to them, right? You ask any one of them and, and most of them don't understand this, the difference between the two, all right? So let me just be clear. A strategy is the what we're trying to do. The tactics are how we're going to do it. The how, right, exactly. Right? It doesn't matter how hard the strategy is. Okay, when you I say, oh, oh, I want to cure cancer. Okay, that's the strategy, and I know it's hard. Now we're going to do some tactical things in order to figure out how to cure cancer, right? So, right, no, with the difference of strategy and tactics, kind of, and the confusion about it crosses over many, many different industries. So it's an it's an important thing to reflect on here. And if you talk to some peers, some of them have a strategy with no idea how they're going to go about doing it. All right, they'll talk about CIA, for example. Right. And and don't have any really practical ways to go about implementing it. Others just do a series of tactics like, oh, vulnerability management and anti-malware and and uh, security awareness training. These are all tactics, things that we could do with no idea what, what they're actually trying to accomplish. Right. And so what, my whole point here uh, in the book is to say we're going to accomplish these things uh, as strategies and we're going to here's the tactics we might use. Uh, to go about it. Right. So this book is appropriate for CISOs, practitioners, analysts, anybody really in the cybersecurity world. Yeah, it could go all yeah, up and down the chain. Uh, and I think anybody can get a, a look or, or benefit from thinking about these ideas. So not published yet. You know, in the podcast world, as, a, as hosts, we like, uh, we always have to think of uh, the people who are listening to this in the future. So as we're recording, it's not published yet. Going to be published at the end of April 2023, kind of in line with RSA. 
Yep, uh, we're we timed it so that we would do all that, and uh, I am um, I am signing books at R- the RSA conference. If you're going to be out there on Thursday or Wednesday, I'm sorry, Wednesday afternoon. I'm I'm also giving a talk on a different topic, but after it, so late Thursday or Wednesday afternoon, uh, I'll be at the bookstore signing books. If you want to come along and find it. Perfect. And that sounds like it's right before our meet and greet, uh, which is Wednesday evening. So we've, we've already helped people set up their agenda. Excellent. Thank you. You're a busy guy, Rick. Thank you very much for taking some time out to, uh, to join us and I appreciate talking to you. Thanks for doing this, Luke. And that'll do it for another episode of the RHI SAC podcast. I want to thank Rick and all of my guests, Brian Hundley and JJ Josing from the RHISAC Threat Intel team, and Susie Squire and her plus one Rafa Villarea Ferrer. And as always, for making us sound good, thank you to our senior producer, Jennifer Ivan, and the sound team of Elliot Peltzman and Trey Hester, and to our own producers at the RHISAC, Annie Chambliss and Marisa Treshinecki. This episode and all of our past episodes can be found at thecyberwire.com or wherever you listen to high-quality podcasts like ours. Once again, if you have anything you want to say to us, good, bad, or ugly, shoot us an email at podcast at rhisac.org. We'll have a new episode in a couple of weeks. In the meantime, stay safe out there. <laughs> <laughs>